One of the memories that my children have of my mom and dad is when we would visit and go to the old country buffet. Uh, my dad used to call it the Golden Fork. I don't know where he, if he got that name. He probably made it up. He was good at making up names. And our kids loved it because that was one of the days they could eat anything they want as much as they wanted. And we'd hear them talking on the way home. How many desserts did you have? Oh, I had five. Oh, I had seven. It's just like, whoa, what in the world did they eat? A banquet, right? A great uh, feast, whatever you want to eat. Well, this morning we look at a great banquet in Luke chapter 14. Begin reading at verse 15 in Jesus' name. Luke 14, beginning at verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and take a look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry. And said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of salvation and being a part of your kingdom, the invitation to come to a great banquet. A banquet, O God, that you have prepared for us. A banquet at the price of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that the work of salvation is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, he said that it is finished. Nothing more can or could ever be added to what Christ has done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come to you today just as we are broken in need of your mercy and grace. And you receive us and you feed us. And you provide for all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. What do you think it would be like if you invited Jesus to a dinner party at your home? Would everyone be happy to visit with Jesus? Or would the presence of Jesus make some people feel a little bit uncomfortable? Quite a thought to think about, isn't it? If you look at verse 1 of this chapter, Jesus is at the home 
of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, and it's on the Sabbath day. And as you can imagine, they were watching him closely. What's he going to do on the Sabbath day? Would he do something like heal someone of all things? How awful that would be, huh? So they were wanting to accuse him, but Jesus ended up accusing them. It's interesting. The tables were turned upon this group. According to verse 7 of this chapter, Jesus had something to say to the guests who were there that day. They were picking out the places of honor at the table. So Jesus told a parable that illustrated how the proud will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. Jesus said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. In other words, don't assume that you are one of the great ones because someone might take your place. And that would be embarrassing, right? And so probably a little bit uncomfortable sitting there if you were one of those who was taking the place of honor. And then Jesus had a message for the one who invited all of these people to the the dinner party, verse 12, he, he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they'll invite you back and they'll repay you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now that made things even a bit more uncomfortable. And so there was someone there who was going to change the subject. Ever been in a situation like that where things are getting a little bit uncomfortable? So someone, you know, just, why don't we talk about this or talk about that? So here's this guy in verse 15 of our text. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said, Oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let's not talk about now. Let's just talk about the kingdom of God, the future. So he's going to change the subject to try to make it a little bit less uh, um, uncomfortable. What's he thinking? He's thinking this is getting a little bit too too convicting. (laughs) This is starting to get people a little bit uncomfortable. And you can kind of just sense the tension building in the room, right? You've been there, right? Where the conversation gets just a little bit tense. Now, Jesus, he could have responded by saying, yeah, it's going to be great. It'll be a blessed day to eat bread in the kingdom of God. I can't wait. How about you? Huh? (laughs) He didn't do that. Jesus knew that there were some gathered at that dinner that day who didn't belong to the kingdom of God. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't trust in him. So he invites them to come to the banquet of salvation. What God has provided for us in Jesus. And he gives them several reasons why they ought to come. Notice, first of all, come because everything is ready. If you've ever been involved in preparing for a banquet, you know that it takes a lot of time and probably a lot of money. And this was certainly the case for the man in the parable that Jesus told here because he describes it as a a big dinner or a great banquet. And he says that there were many that were invited. We don't know exactly how, but the picture is that of a quite a large event. It kind of reminds me of uh, 
wedding receptions. Um, ever been to a large, exquisite, uh, exp- <laughs> expensive wedding reception? I don't know what you think, but I'm thinking of the father of the bride is going to pay big money for this. I feel sorry for him. A lot of time and effort and money going into that banquet. Now, we don't know how much it cost, how long it took to get this banquet ready, but the time came when all the preparations had been completed and the master sent his slaves to those who had invited and saying, it's time to come. Verse 17, at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Those of you who are Norwegians, uh, isn't it like Varsigu? Is, is, that, is that what it is? Something like that? Is that right? Did I say it right? How can a Finlander pronounce Norwegian words? Huh? Varsigu, come and eat. It's all ready. Yeah, my mother would say, come and eat. I don't know. That doesn't sound Finn either. But So what's the point that Jesus is making here in this parable? The point he's making is that the banquet of salvation is ready. It's done. It's free. God has done everything necessary to save us because Jesus paid that price for us. All we need to do is come. The banquet of salvation is ready. Most of the churches that I know of, and this one included, we've had what we call potluck dinners. Some don't like the term potluck, and they call it pot blessing or pot providence or something. Everybody brings something to share, right? I love potluck dinners. You can sample all kinds of different things. You might get a little heartburn afterwards, but boy, it is, it is wonderful. It is awesome. When it comes to God's banquet, it's not a potluck dinner. Not at all. He isn't asking us to bring whatever we have because we have nothing to bring. We have nothing to offer, right? What can we offer God in terms of our salvation except our, our brokenness, our, our, our sinful, filthy rags? But God still invites us to come. I love Isaiah 55. We read from that this morning. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then they ask the question, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you seeking after things that don't meet your spiritual needs? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. And I love this, and delight yourself in abundance. (laughs) That's what salvation is. It's abundance, right? It's abundant life. That's what Jesus said. And when you come to Jesus, you delight yourself in abundance. (laughs) He has so much to give to people who don't deserve it. That's the mercy and grace of God. So I need to ask you today, have you come? Have you come to that banquet? I mentioned last week about our dog Molly, and i got to mention her again because she knew all kinds of little tricks. You know, she could uh, she could pray. I don't know if you knew that. Our dog learned how to pray. And she could sit and she could pretty girl and shake hands and all that. But the one thing that she did not want to do all the time, guess what, was to come. (laughs) 
Only if she felt like coming, or if you had some food to give her would she come. She just, she had a mind of her own, right? And there were times she didn't want to come. And there are people that are just like that dog. Offered salvation, offered eternal life, offered forgiveness, but in all their stubbornness they will not come. Have you come? Everything is ready. Jesus has paid the price. Second thing we learn here, come because there is no good reason not to come. No good reason not to come. Notice when the announcement was made, the banquet was ready. Verse 18 says, they all alike began to make excuses. And maybe in their minds they thought that these were valid excuses, but if you really look at them, They were flimsy excuses, foolish excuses. And if you ask people why they haven't come to Jesus, I'll tell you what, you hear some stupid excuses, right? Flimsy. There were three of them here. Verse 18, the first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. I don't know if you've ever bought a piece of land before. You've probably bought a house. But if you have done that, I can about guarantee that you didn't buy it without looking at it, right? Who on earth would buy a piece of land without looking at it? We almost did that with our house. Do you remember that, Dennis? Back in 2001, we drove up to the place where we live, and we went to the side of the house, looked over the fence, And here's a quote from my wife. We'll take it. Dennis said, well, you might want to look inside. She said, I don't need to look inside. We'll take it. Now, we did look inside, but we almost bought that house without really looking at it because the backyard was, ooh, that was nice. It is nice. But most people don't do that, right? So so this man's excuse, I would suggest to you, probably wasn't even true. He had almost certainly looked at the land before he had bought it, but even if he hadn't, was it so urgent that it couldn't wait? The land wasn't going to go anywhere, right? He could come to the banquet, go after the banquet, go the next day. Flimsy excuse. The second excuse, verse 19, another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Kind of like the first one, right? Who in their right mind would buy five yoke of oxen without trying them out? If you're going to use them for farming or for whatever, you want to make sure that they work right, that they're obedient and so forth. So who would do that without testing them out? It'd be like buying a car without test driving it. There's only one person I know that did that. That was my dad. He would call up the guy that he bought cars from. He'd say, Norm. I need a new car. He said, okay, you can pick it up on Monday. Okay, we'll see you then. And my mom would say, what color is it? I don't know. We'll find out on Monday. She said, what make is it? I don't know. He said, we'll find out on on Monday. Well, he did that, but I don't know of any others that would do that. You're going to try it out first. And so this excuse probably... Not even true like the first one. And if so, was it so urgent that it couldn't wait? 
Another flimsy excuse. And then the third one, another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Why would that uh, stop him from coming to the banquet? What wife wouldn't want her husband to take her out to dinner? Huh? Any wives here would say, no, 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 no. I'd rather slave in the kitchen. I'd rather work hard in the kitchen. I'd rather prepare it myself. I really don't want you to take me out to, to dinner. Huh? And what husband doesn't want a free lunch? Huh? I'll take one. Yeah. And so all of these excuses, they were just like, really? Is that what you're going to say? Make excuses like that? None of them had any merit whatsoever. Reminds me of the Chinese man who had been the first one to get a plow in his area. And his neighbor was watching how well that worked. And so he said one day, he said, do you, do you think I could borrow your plow? And he said, well, he said, I would like for you to borrow my plow. But he said, my wife is using my plow to comb her hair. And he said, your wife is using your plow to comb her hair? He said, well, no, not really, he said, but when you don't want to do something, he said, one excuse is as good as the next. Isn't that the way it is? Boy, if you don't want to do something, come up with something, right? Come up with some excuse. doesn't matter what it is. If you don't want to do it, that's the heart of the issue. So one excuse is as good as the next. That's what we see here. They all began to make excuses. And I've heard a lot of excuses, haven't you? Excuses as to why people won't come to Jesus and be saved. How about this one? The church is full of hypocrites. Have you heard that one before? Isn't that a stupid excuse? Why would you let a hypocrite keep you from heaven? What sense does that make? But people do that. Or what will people think of me if I become a Christian? In light of eternity, what does it matter what people think of you? So you're going to let that keep you from heaven? Or it will cost me too much to become a Christian. There are things that I just don't want to give up. What will it cost you if you don't come to Jesus? Ever thought about that? What will it cost you? It will cost you heaven. You'll spend eternity separated from God. Or how about this one? I'll come to Jesus later. Isn't that a common one? I'm just not ready. I'll come to Jesus later. Will you really? Will you really? Are you sure that you'll be here later? And if you are, what makes you think that later you're not going to say, later, huh? Another day. But not now. I don't care how hard you try. You will never find one good reason not to come to Jesus because there is none. The wise thing is to recognize how desperately you need Him and you come. Just as you are, as one man said, warts and all, warts and all, desperate, needy, 
sinful, lost, Jesus invites you to come. No good reason not to come. Then finally, Jesus, or this parable teaches us to come because God longs for us to come. When people made excuses as to why they couldn't come to the banquet, the master didn't give up. He didn't just say, well, let's just cancel the banquet then. He wanted his house to be full. Isn't that great? So notice what he said to his servant, verse 21. The slave came back and he reported all the excuses to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, we, we, we've done that. And still there's room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. It's like he's saying, I don't care where you have to go. Just bring them in. <laughs> The poor, the the crippled, the blind, the lame, everyone is included. Tell them to come. I want my house to be filled. That's the heart of God, isn't it? I want people to come. Maple Grove, Plymouth, Minnesota, United States, Africa, Asia, South America, to the ends of the earth, I want my house to be filled. And there's still room, right? The hymn writer says, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And I find it interesting, the word that the Master uses to describe what to do when He invites them to come. He says, compel them to come. That's a, that's a strong word, isn't it? Persuade them. Tell them the urgency of this. This is nothing to, to joke about. This is, this is serious business. Compel them to come. Why? Were these needy people unwilling to come like the first ones that had been invited? Perhaps. But I'm not sure it's so much them unwilling to come. Maybe it's about them being unsure to come. The blind, the crippled, the lame. They were the ones who had probably never been invited to a banquet. They were the ones that, that, that nobody really cared about. They weren't good friends with, with the wealthy. And maybe they wondered if they could really come. Marvin Vincent says, compel them not to use force, but to constrain them against the reluctance with which such poor creatures would feel at accepting the invitation of a great Lord. Can't you just picture some of them saying, Me? Me? Why on earth would this wealthy man want me to come? And that's why he says, compel them. Tell them. Urge them to come. They're invited. Roy McLean tells of a beggar who stopped a lawyer on the street many years ago and asked him if he could have a quarter. And so he took a long look into the man's face and he said, Do I know you from somewhere? And the beggar said, Yes, we went to school together. 
Sam, he said. So he wrote out a check for $100. Not a quarter, but $100. And so the beggar went to the bank and he looked inside the window and everybody was well-dressed. Ties and suits and dresses and everybody just looked so uh, much greater than he was. And he said, they'll never cash this check. And so he left. And they ended up meeting the next day by chance on the street again. And so the lawyer said, Sam, he said, did you cash the check? And he said, no, I didn't. He said, why didn't you? And he said what, what I just told you. And then the lawyer said, listen, Sam, what makes the check good is not your clothes or your appearance. What makes the check good is my signature. Now go and cash it. Isn't it the same when it comes to salvation? We are not saved because we are in any way worthy of it. We are, we are beggars, right? We are beggars. We have nothing to offer to God. But Jesus has paid for our salvation. And he invites us to come. So will you come today? Will you accept his invitation? Don't make excuses. Don't try and come up with reasons you should not come because you will never find a reason that's a valid reason. I invite you to come today. God longs for you to come. He invites you to come. He wants his house to be filled. So come. Come to the banquet of salvation and enjoy what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have done to save us, the banquet of salvation that you have provided for us. It is finished. It is ready. And the invitation goes out to come. Come without money. Come without price. Delight yourself in abundance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the abundant life that you have provided for us. Lord, help us to come, to receive, to experience the joy that you have come to give to us, needy people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.